in case you don't know, uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant Church, and um, really excited to be here this morning. Um, so this weekend we had D now, and as Luke read the passage to you from Second Timothy, I'll read it again. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so last week, um, Luke came up to me, last Sunday we're setting up, and uh, he was like, hey, I want you to finish off Exodus 4. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then I read Exodus 4. And, and it's one of those passages um, that is tough. You know, we read it in our reading plan a few weeks ago, and I remember Trace coming up to me that afternoon and was like, what is going on in this passage? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And so, um, but I do believe that there is um, a great thing God has for us today as we, as we kind of walk through this. Sometimes it's hard to see how all Scripture is God-breathed, right? Can we be honest? Or at least how it's profitable. Sometimes it's hard to read some passage of Scripture and see, okay, how is God at work in this? How can I learn from this thing? But we can so we're in Exodus, and so far in Exodus, we've kind of walked through the life of Moses. He was born, uh, babies were being murdered in Egypt, so his mother sent him away. He ended up in the house of Pharaoh, was raised in the house of Pharaoh, then around 40 years old, he woke up, I guess, one day, realizing his Jewish roots, and he saw these people being oppressed, and he got angry, and he said, I'm going to do something about this, and he murdered somebody. And he murdered somebody, and then he freaked out, and he ran away. And he ended up in a place called Midian, where he met this man named Jethro, who was the chief priest of Midian. And then he met his wife, Zipporah. They had um, a life. He became a shepherd, basically, it seems like. And, and then one day, after years of this life, like Moses probably thinks, I got away from all this craziness. I can live my life with my wife and kind of just do my thing. And then one day God shows up through a burning bush of all things and tells Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. And guess what, Moses? I have picked you to be my ambassador to the Pharaoh. And, you know, we learned last week Moses gave all these objections that I can't do this. I don't talk good. I don't know who I am. All this kind of stuff. And God says, no. It is you. And then we end up here in Exodus 4, verse 18. And it's going to get fun today. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. You see, Moses has great respect for his father-in-law. He goes to him and asks permission to do this thing God told him to do. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses, in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, underline sons. Moses had two sons, two sons, and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. So Moses had two sons. His oldest son was named Gershom. His youngest son, apparently named Eliezer, if that's correct, I have no idea, I don't really care. 
apparently, here's the here's key here, he had not circumcised the youngest of his two sons, which on the surface we think is not a very big deal. So one son didn't get around to it. He was in Midian. They had different customs. We're going to let it slide. But for someone born with Jewish heritage, let's go look at Genesis 17. This is how this whole covenant with Abraham starts. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. That includes Moses throughout the generations, correct? This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring and after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. How many males? Some males or blonde-haired males? No, every male should be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you. Underline that who was eight days old. God is very clear here. He doesn't say one years old, three weeks old. When you get to it, he says, when he is eight days old, shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations. So, now here's the thing. The Midianites, they were descendants of Abraham through one of his later wives after Sarah died. And so they did circumcise their boys, but not at eight days. It's kind of when they got to it, they would take this step of circumcision, but they didn't follow this to the letter of the law. So let's keep going. Let's read verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. Then he says, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. You go to Pharaoh with this covenant relationship between me and Israel. God is going and pointing right back to that covenant with Abraham, which is very, very important. Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, let him go. Behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Okay, here's where it gets a little crazy. This all seems normal, right? God picked Moses. Moses kind of said yes, kind of like, all right, I'll do this. Gives him instruction. Go to Pharaoh, say these things, bring your staff, show your power. We're good, right? Then the wheels come off. At a lodging place on the way, the, I imagine it'd be like a holiday inn. Um, <laughs> at the lodging place on the way the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Like, what happened? Like, what happened here? He just spoke to Moses in a burning bush. Moses is going, and then he seeks to put him to death. As we study, you see he was actually sick, and he was so sick, he was going to die. Let's keep going. Then Sipporah, thank goodness for wives, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Okay? So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Let's pray. 
Um, so you see this just sudden shift, right, in the whole story. And this is kind of peculiar, strange thing just happens. And it's like, what in the world is going on here? This makes no sense. But you see here, so Moses is sick, and his wife apparently knows why he's sick. She knows why he's dying. And it's because they have not circumcised their second son. And she sees this, and we, we, we don't know this for sure. You almost see in this text, like she's mad. Like she cut, cuts it off and says, ah, ragged blood to me. Like she's angry in this moment for some reason. And you see this, and she realizes why this is happening. And it's because their home, Moses, has not let his home in this covenant. He has let things get away. You can imagine. So Moses went to Midian. He married the chief priest's daughter. He's there for 40 years. He is in the culture. Like he is kind of set in the culture. His wife thinks this way, and he just lets these things happen, even though he knows. He knows the covenant of God with Abraham, that at eight days old, every male should be circumcised. But still Moses relents and does not circumcise his son. And God's judgment has come on Moses. Now, when I read this and study this, and you're probably thinking the same thing. First question, why did God respond so harshly? In our view of fairness, right? Moses is doing, God asked, Moses is doing the big things. Like he's going to Egypt to do God's work. Why did God respond so harshly? Also, why not earlier? Like, why today is God coming to, like, kill Moses? Why these things? What was his illness? How old was the boy? Was he 10 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old, 5 years old? All these things. And here is my answer, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I don't know. We do not know. And here is our mistake sometimes, especially when we have so much information now in the world. We feel like we get caught up on these little things, these little extraneous, not important, minute parts of God's word and scripture, and we fully miss out on the clear things God has told us to do. Here's what I know. God is God and we are not. God is mysterious God is sovereign and God is holy and we are not. And many times at the end of the day, we have to be okay with that. That God is God and we are not. Someone one time, one time told me, well, if you don't like the way God did things, create your own world. We can't do that because we are not God. The things we most want to know many times are the things that are most unimportant. And here's the deal. We, why is this in here? I'm here to affirm today as we are walking through this in my own heart this week that all Scripture is God-breathed and it is profitable. These words have major impact for us today. And these words do point to Jesus. And we want to see him lifted high in our lives. It's not here to confuse us, but it's here to teach us. So here, as we look at this, this main principle 
of this crazy story we see here in Exodus that Moses let things kind of get off in his home. Here's the main thing. Write this down. It always starts at home. It always starts at home. And that is hard to hear. It really is. It's hard to hear because it comes back to our own sin, doesn't it? And it always starts at home. And we have two principles and one question I want to answer from this text. First principle, the judgment of God always begins with the people of God. The judgment of God always begins with the people of God. We always assume that it's different than that. That if we just show up, God will take care of the rest and our lives will be nice and happy and smooth. It doesn't work that way. 1 Peter 4.17 For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Judgment begins with our household. When God shows up, he judges his own first. We're the first, as we're followers of him, we're the first people he's going to look at. Not the ones you hate on TV. Not the neighbor you hate in your your neighborhood. He's going to look at you first in your sin. Hebrews 12. Because many times we hear this because we have bought this lie that once we believe God, What he gives us is a happy and nice life. Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. A loving father disciplines and stretches his children. So there's this lie we believe that when life is hard, we are somehow outside of the fold of God. No, when, when there is discipline, when you're being stretched to your, mask, your max, that is a loving God disciplining his children. As followers of Jesus, we should expect discomfort. We have to move past this lie that we believe in this culture. We feel like if there's a lack of pain and there's plenty of comfort, then God is happy with us. Many times, that is the complete opposite. When there's this veneer of this perfect, good life, many times it's the absence of a loving Father God stretching that person. And so I know many of you in this room are walking through difficulties that I can't even imagine we, were, we had this uh, fostering adoption class this morning. And that was a heavy hour for 9.30. As we sit there and we hear about these children who need to be adopted have no, no mother and father. And then I know of families in this room who are fostering right now, who are going to court dates and are taking care of kids. Their life is not comfortable. But every day they're being reminded that they are not doing this in their own power. They cannot do this in their own power. They're being stretched. What parent who loves their kid is not going to discipline and stretch their children? Like this morning, we're singing songs, and Hayes Joseph was getting stretched by me. He was like, oh, hold me, Daddy. No, not right now. We're singing to God. And so we, we have this idea. We understand this, but we feel like when we are 
stretched or life is hard, that somehow we're off. Moral decay in our culture starts with the church. Moral, to get, moral decay starts with the church. And it's not because we have not been political enough or, or voted the right way. It's because we've allowed things within our families, our own lives, our churches, just like Moses did not circumcise his son. We feel like we know better than what God has clearly told us about. Not the gray things. I mean the black and white things. The, on the eighth day, every male is circumcised. There's no gray there. On those things, in our own lives, our own homes, our own churches, we have let sin and moral decay creep in. And we're surprised that the world around us is crumbling in many ways. For example, God has told his followers to care for the poor. To care for the poor. Very simple, very black and white. Yet many of us in this room are not practically caring for the poor. Sexual sin. It's very clear. Very clear. But if you look, if you look at stats, men in this room are battling pornography. Or not battling, they're succumbing to pornography. Judgment starts with the household of God. Second principle. If we want to be used by God, we first need to obey God. Let's keep reading in, um, in Exodus, verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, so Moses is kind of, he has got through this terrible experience. He has kind of moved on. It says, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and he met him at the mountain of God and he kissed him. So Moses and Aaron reconnect. This is a great moment. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the, words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. God's at work. God's plan is happening. And so... We, we see this weird kind of story in between God telling Moses to go do this and then him actually doing this. And so why is this weird thing about circumcision in there? And it's because we cannot do work for God if there is sin in our own lives and our own household. Before we can be used by God, we must obey God. So before Moses could confront Pharaoh... With this covenant that God has with Israel, Moses first had to deal with the covenant in his own home. Does that make sense? God has an order for how we deal with sin. First, this first stage of dealing with sin is our own lives. The first thing we do when talking about sin and obedience is we deal with our own life. Psalms 139. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So as we talk about these stages of 
sin and dealing with sin, a question that just kept popping in my heart. We can't look at this passage this week because nobody knew that Moses' son was uncircumcised. That wasn't like common knowledge, right? And the fear I have for us in this room is that we have sins nobody knows about. That nobody knows about. And then we're going to try to leave today and do work for God and walk in the power of God. So I have a question for us today. Don't yell it out, please. What are your secret sins? What are the sins that if anyone else knew about, you would just come crashing down? That you feel like you have hid from everybody in this world? I just want to lovingly tell you that God knows your sin deeply. Deeply. You are not hiding your sin from God. And you're ruining the joy of the presence of God through this secret sin. Listen, there's a difference between struggling with your sin and reveling in your sin. I don't want to condemn anybody. We are all limping along in this walk with Christ. No one is like this stallion here. Trust me. No one is. But there's a difference between keeping this to yourself and kind of just living in your sin. Then confessing and fighting with other brothers and sisters. There's a big difference. So we must deal with our own sin before we do anything else. We have, we have plenty of men probably in this room who are mad at their kids about their school grades while they're looking at pornography every single night. That is a problem. We cannot move forward unless we deal with our secret sin. I'm not saying God's going to come to you the way he came to Moses. I'm not saying that. But God's punishment is coming. His discipline is coming. Second stage, our families. So we deal with our own sin, and then we move to our household. 1 Timothy 3, one of the qualifications for being a pastor, elder in God's church, is to care for your own family. Because if they cannot care for their own family, how can they care for a church family? You know, we live in a culture that just really, like, looks down, in a sense, on children as being a need, as being a burden. Uh, marriage is just like, you know, pain. It is just like, you know, pain to be with your spouse. All these just honestly awful things. And we tend to believe them sometimes. Listen, your spouse, your kids are a gift from God. Love them, steward them, disciple them well. Parents, husbands, wives, that's your responsibility. Forget about workplace, neighborhood for a moment. What's going on in your home? What sins are you ignoring in your home? Deal with your home. Third stage, fellow believers. We are called to hold one another accountable, to spur each other on, to bring good news to each other. But many times what I find uh, in a negative way is that sometimes people within the church Instead of coming and saying, I am praying for so-and-so, I love them, it's like, well, this one kind of minute piece of theology we disagree on, so I can't be in a relationship with them. We let these small, extraneous, honestly unimportant things break our fellowship. And here's what I see. Looking at Psalm 139, this idea of searching your heart for the sin in your own life. When you're truly like living this broken life, searching out what, how you're sinning against God, it's impossible to live in judgment and contempt of others. 
Because when you're highly aware of your own sin, you don't have time to be concerned with John and Sheila's sin. There's no John. Well, we have one. Well, I, I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of people in our church that don't have that name. But uh, Sheila's sin. And um, you don't have time for those things. But many of us, we spend way more time thinking about their sin than our sin, right? So we deal with our own stuff. We deal with our families. We deal with our church brothers and sisters. And last, the world. Us, family, church, world. Here's the problem. We have gotten that backwards, haven't we? We start first with, I'm going to get the world. You know what? I'm going to get that person to the church too. Yeah, I know my kids are terrible. I know that. But I'm worried about them right there. There's this, there's that, there's this, there's that. While we never look at our own lives and our own sin. Listen, it starts with a mirror. Your battle with sin starts with a mirror and not a telescope. We want to look at everybody else's stuff, our spouse, our kids, our church people, all these things, but not deal with our own stuff. This is an area where social media drives me crazy. Because for some reason, we feel like it is our job to announce the world's problems. We get online and somehow we have all the answers and we kind of This group here is off, this group here is off, that group there is off, but but never, ever pulling the mirror up and asking, where am I off? Friends, do not move past this. Obedience, if we want to be used by God, we first need to obey God. And we're going to wrap up with this. This one question that I've been thinking about all week long. Have we forgotten our covenant? So Moses had this clear covenant that was given from Abraham, correct? We went through this, we walked through this, and Moses clearly had walked away from that covenant. And then God showed up and made things right so that he could be used by God. But where have we as people in 2019 in Shreveport and Bossier, how have we forgotten our covenant? So Jesus, as he started the church, gave us two things, two, two signs, two kind of family markers, two ordinances that the church should live out. The first is baptism. The Great Commission, you've probably all heard this before if you've been in church, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is this kind of outward marker of an inward reality, much like circumcision, correct? It's very simple. I want to say this as lovingly as I can. If you have entered into this covenant with Jesus by grace, through faith, and you have not been baptized, you are living in disobedience. You are living in disobedience. And you may say, it's a religious ceremony, I don't have to be saved, all these kind of things. And those aren't in a sense true. But it's also true that you're living in disobedience. That God has clearly given us this marker, this sign, this act of obedience through baptism. And so I'd ask the question, if you're in this room, if you've not been baptized and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, why are you living in disobedience? No pressure, 
no guilt. But that is one of the signs of our new covenant, correct? Is baptism. And now that's probably not a lot of folks in this room. Maybe it is. I have no idea. The next ordinance from Jesus was communion, correct? Luke 22. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Communion is this beautiful gift from God through his church that roots us back to the foundation of our covenant, the, the, the broken body and blood of Jesus. It's the root of our covenant. It's the life of our covenant. It's the beauty of our covenant, the mystery of our covenant. It's the person and the work of Jesus that we many times forsake gathering for other things. That we know these things, but we're not continually being transformed by these things. Like, this is not a magical thing where you are, you know, that's not happening. But there's this remembrance that happens every single week. That this covenant is not about you and what you have done. It's about the body and the blood of Jesus that made a way for you. And many times we forsake that covenant, forsake that ordinance for other things, for lesser things. Whether it's sports, hunting, sleep, work, whatever it might be, we forsake that clear thing we see in Scripture for other things. But here is honestly my bigger concern, is the real danger. As I talk to people who are pretty faithful in some of these things. And it's this idea, let's look at Ephesians 2, of how we kind of enter into our covenant. It's for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast. So just as Moses found himself assimilating into a different culture, forsaking the covenant that he knew, For this new world, many times we have forsaked the covenant of Jesus Christ for this right here. For a contract that's based on me doing some good works so that God will bless me. We come to this table like we're doing a transaction. That if I do this for God, the rest of my week will be nice and easy and blessed and comfortable. We have forsaken the covenant of grace through faith with Jesus and this deeper relationship, this deeper surrender for this lesser kind of Americanized thing. It's this contract of works and blessing. As I do this for God, he does this for me. It's a dance with God. And we do this over and over and over again. And friends, we have forsaken the greatest covenant, the covenant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not being transformed because we're living in our own power in this false covenant. Does that make sense? This is subtle but deadly. Because at this point, the gospel, our covenant becomes a means to self-fulfillment. A means to our own personal happiness. And not moving into deeper surrender and relationship to our king. Because here's the deal. As we walk in this covenant together, as we worship through song together, 
as we sit under teaching together, as we take communion together, as we confess sins together, as we care for the poor together, as we do all these things together, we should become more transformed by this covenant and not more burdened. That this covenant leads to freedom. Our covenants led to slavery. Friends, there is freedom that is only found in Jesus Christ. And we're going to take communion today and have a chance today to fully surrender ourselves to his work. That it was his body and his blood shed for me because I am fully incapable of fulfilling the covenant myself. Let's not be like Moses and forsake what we feel like are small, unimportant things because we feel like we know better. God is God and we are not. So here's my encouragement. Three ways we take a step today. First question. Have you forgotten your covenant? Have you been baptized? Are you faithful to gather with the saints and take communion and be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you left this covenant of grace for a covenant of works? Have you forgotten your covenant? Here's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. You notice in this passage that God is literally killing Moses. And then one verse later, God is sending Moses. Like we feel like we have like stuff. Maybe it's secret sin. Maybe it's apathy that is so far outside the work of God. Friends, that's just a lie from the enemy, from the accuser. No matter where you are today or what you have done, the covenant of grace is for you. You might have believed years ago and you've walked away and you feel far away. God is right here inviting you to surrender yourself to him. There is nothing greater you can do. Not a thing, not a work, not a good act. You might think, I need to stop doing this or save money. Those are right and good things. But it's still a covenant of works and its foundation. The covenant of grace says, Jesus, I have no answers. None at all. And I surrender myself to you. Have you forgotten your covenant? Second point, confess and deal with secret sin. This is tough. This is, can be awkward, all these kind of things. Today is a day of confession. No matter what it might be. Could be anger. Could be sexual sin. Could be this. I have no idea. Confess your sin today. Find Luke or myself or Weston or find someone you trust or a leader in our church and confess your sin today. Because we have a covenant of grace. When you're confessing your sins, you're not saying you're not worthy. You're never worthy. You're saying, God, please heal me. Please use me. God tried to kill Moses, and then Moses was parting the Red Sea. Does that make sense? God can do supernatural things through surrendered people. Please confess your secret sin today. And last thing. How are you leading your home? It starts in the home. What corners are you cutting? I said to myself, as the corners come up in my hand that I'm cutting. What corners are we cutting? Listen, our, if you have kids or students in the home, it's for a brief window. It's for a brief window. And listen, if you've done a terrible job up till now, that's okay. That's okay. Get involved. Get, get, get to work. 
Set a devotion night. Pray with your kids. Ask them questions. Pray with your spouse. Have a date night. How are you cultivating the life of your home? Listen, we're all pastors in this room if we have kids. We're all pastors. It's our role to bring God to our kids. And what I have by osmosis. Can you imagine if we were a church or a people that really took serious this covenant of grace we've been given? What kind of freedom would there be in our congregation? When we're singing songs about, we sang this song earlier, what was it about? For the cross. And bursting forth with a glorious hope. If you're truly surrendered to a covenant of grace, that song should make you want to jump out of your shoes. Because we are so vile, we're so incompetent, we're so unusable, we're so unlovable, but God, but God came near and adopted me, Jason Wood, with this laundry list of sins and insecurities and failures. And I'm a part of the family of God. And God is saying, I want you to be an ambassador for me. That, folks, is freedom. And it's why we spend all this time to set up stuff. And the band spend all this time practicing and singing songs so that we, as a family of God, can cry out to our Father. Imagine a church like that, that worshiped that way. And that went outside these doors and saw their neighbors, their co-workers, their family members that were far away from God and hurting and we have this freedom, this love, this joy that we go and we share and we show and we serve. What could our community look like? What could your neighborhood look like? What could your home look like? Just imagine what God could do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you're good to us that in spite of um, our failures, our weaknesses, our ignorance. Um, you are patient. You are merciful with us. God, I ask you to speak to hearts right now, not a, a voice of condemnation, but this reminder that you came for the hurting and the broken and the incapable, Lord. And that our response is simply to surrender by grace through faith. Lord, speak to weary hearts this morning. Let your good news be tangibly real to us this morning. Lord, you are good to us. Let us respond with obedience and worship. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.